And in doing good, let us not fail. For in due time we shall reap, not failing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. How many of us have ever stopped and asked ourselves, Hey, why is it that I'm not a saint, even though I made my first communion? Now, that's not a stupid question. First off, when we think about what communion is, there's no lack in our Lord. That's him, body, blood, soul, and divinity, the second person, most blessed trinity, God the Son, Jesus Christ in the flesh, whole and entire when receiving communion. So it's not a stupid question. When we remember God wills our holiness, he wills our holiness. He actually wills that we become holy. In fact, he's so in love with us and has such an incredible desire that we become holy, that we become saints, that he actually gives himself to us in holy communion. So if we're not saints yet, it can't be because of something lacking on the part of our Lord. He wills our holiness. We receive him. So why aren't each one of us that have received first communion, maybe many more communions, saints yet? Because God has one condition he has laid down. The condition is that in order for us to become saints, there must not be any obstacles within us which impede the action of his grace. In order for us to become saints, there must not be any obstacles to the action of his grace within us. So before we go any farther, just parenthetically, mortal sin is not just an obstacle, it's a complete impenetrable barrier. Mortal sin and the life of grace are mutually exclusive. When God comes to us in baptism, in the life of grace, our soul becomes a temple And it's so beautiful because God has put his beauty into it that he's in love with it and he moves in. But a mortal sin is so drastic. In a mortal sin, what are we doing? We're turning, we're looking at God because it's seriously wrong, and we know it's seriously wrong, and then we will it anyway. So basically, we're looking at God, tell him, get lost, get out of my life, I can handle this on my own. We're imitating Satan. A mortal sin is a complete deviation. We completely turned away from God and towards a creature. Nobody's going to tell us what to do. That's what a mortal sin does. So it's a complete barrier to holiness. So mortal sin, if you have mortal sin, you have to go to confession. If you die with even one mortal sin, you can't go to heaven because you don't have the power to get to heaven. And even if you got there, you don't have the power to live there. You have to die with grace. Okay? So that's an absolute barrier. We already know that. We're assuming we're in the state to go to communion. Why aren't we saints? God wills we become saints. He loves us so much and has such an incredible desire that we become saints that he actually gives himself to us in Holy Communion. So if any of us right now is not yet a saint, it's because we have obstacles within us that impede the action of his grace. There's a virtue that removes these obstacles to the action of God's grace in our souls. Obviously, since everyone here is serious about holiness, that's why we're here. Why would he bother coming here otherwise? This is a key virtue for each of us to focus on. So this morning, we're going to take some time looking at that very virtue and then the principal cause of that virtue, okay? So let's get started. What is the name of the virtue that removes obstacles to the action of God's grace within our souls? It's humility. It's the virtue of humility. St. Joseph Kalasanctus used to say, quote, If you desire to be holy, be humble. If you desire to be very holy, be very humble. 
close quote. After all, that's why she's the holiest, because she's the most humble. Humility is a virtue. What does that mean? A virtue is a good habit. A vice is a bad habit, and a virtue is a good habit. Now, when we say something is a habit, what do we mean when we say that? Well, if someone has a habit, it means that he can promptly and easily perform some act. If it's a bad habit, like swearing, it just flows right off his lips without even thinking about it. That's what a vice does for it. If it's a good habit, like saying a prayer, he just promptly rises to prayer. You know, the guy that has a vice of, of swearing, he drops something on his toe, he starts swearing. The guy that has a virtue of prayer, he drops something on his toe, he starts praying for the poor souls. He doesn't want it to go to waste. Difference between a virtue and a vice right there. When someone has a virtue of humility, it means he has a habit. It's the habit of promptly and easily performing acts of humility. So what sort of acts does a virtue of humility make it easy for us to promptly perform? Humility inclines us out of reverence for God to abase ourselves and to keep ourselves in the place that we see is due to us. Okay? Humility inclines us from reverence towards God to abase ourselves and to keep ourselves in the place we see is due to us. Compare that to Satan with the sin of pride. What's Satan's essential sin? He's going to rise up. He's going to be God. He's going to be the one that decides what's right and wrong. What's Adam's sin? You don't tell me what to do. The first sin, you know, you'll be as God's deciding right and wrong. Adam, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to decide and so forth, okay? Pride is exact opposite of humility. Humility inclines us out of reverence for God to abase ourselves and keep ourselves in the place that's proper for us. Okay. We're going to follow, for the most part, the teaching of that great, incorrupt Benedictine, Dom Marmion. Blessed Dom Marmion. As usual, I'll kind of uh, uh, squash quotes together and add some editorial comments. Blessed Dom Marmion. Quote, When we contemplate the perfections and works of God, what is the first movement of the soul touched by grace? It is one of self-abasement. The soul is lost in adoration. I mean, stop, hold that thought. If you really see an absolutely beautiful sunset or the mountain range or something that's just really incredible, it just you're, you're filled with admiration at the beauty that God's just splashed out there just for us to look at. Okay? Anyway, this attitude of adoration is the only true one that the creature as such can have before God. What is adoration? It is the acknowledgement of our absolute dependence in the face of the infinite sovereignty. Of God in the face of Him alone, who is of Himself the fullness of being, it is the homage of our subjection in the face of the infinite sovereignty. When a creature does not remain in this attitude of adoration, it is not in the truth. In heaven, the blessed are locked in God's embrace, an embrace surpassing all that the most ardent love can imagine. They're possessed by God. They possess him in the essence of their soul. God is all in them, and yet they do not cease to be lost in deep reverence, the expression of their adoration. Should not the annihilation of self be likewise our law here below? When faith, which is a prelude to the beatific vision, that's the vision of heaven, when faith, which is a prelude to the beatific vision, makes us touch something of God's unfathomable perfections, we at once cast ourselves down, in adoration. The soul understands with a strong inner light what a close contact there may be between itself and God. It beholds infinite contrast to the two terms, 
littleness and lowliness contrasted with greatness and majesty. Greatness and majesty contrasted with littleness and lowliness. The soul may moreover concentrate its attention the more upon the one or the other of these two terms of relation. Is it upon the term God? It tends to adore him. Is it upon the term of self? The soul tends to humble itself. It is at the precise instant of our self-annihilation in the presence of the divine majesty that humility is born in the soul. As soon as reverence towards God fills the soul, it is like the source whence humility springs up. As St. Thomas says, humility is caused by reverence towards God. If this cause is lacking, humility cannot exist. This is a point which cannot be too much insisted upon, close quote. Now, I know that was long, but we're going to unpack it. It's very important stuff here. It is at the precise instant of our self-annihilation in the presence of the divine majesty that humility is born in the soul. As soon as reverence towards God fills the soul, it is like the source from which humility springs up. Humility is caused by reverence towards God. If this cause is lacking, humility cannot exist. This is a point which cannot be too much insisted upon. Humility is caused by reverence towards God. Humility is caused by reverence towards God. Humility is caused by reverence towards God. If the cause is lacking, humility cannot exist. Humility is caused by reverence towards God. Okay, so what have we seen? We've seen that in adoration we are moved by a comparison, the comparison of our littleness and loneliness contrasted with God's majesty and greatness. And during that process of comparison, when the soul concentrates upon God, it tends to adore Him. When it concentrates upon itself, it tends to humble itself. We've seen that it's at this precise instant, this precise recognition of our own nothingness in the presence of God, that humility comes forth in the soul. We've seen that as soon as reverence towards God fills the soul, it's this source from which humility flows out. Humility is caused by reverence towards God, and we've seen that if reverence towards God is missing, humility cannot exist. There are a lot of very important implications here, some of which we'll draw out in a few minutes. Now, Blessed Dom Marmion reminds us of a very important balance here that we have to keep sight of. Quote, If forgetful of our own nothingness, we come before God full of confidence, but with little reverence. Or on the contrary, if we are penetrated with fear, but have only a slight confidence, our relations with God are not what they ought to be. The self-abasement of the creature should not be to the detriment of the confidence of the child. The quality of the child ought not to cause forgetfulness of the condition of creature and sinner. If everybody sees the point here, Don Marmion, Blessed Don Marmion, has pointed out if we want to be truly reverent, there's a balance. We have to remain at two things at the same time as we approach God. It's true, yes, that we are creatures and sinners coming in the presence of the Almighty Lord and God. But it's also true that we're children that he loves so much he sent his son down to die for us. We have to keep both those terms in front of us so we remember his awesomeness and his love. A defect in either one of those, and we're not approaching God in spirit and truth. Don Marmion. Humility thus understood envelops our whole being. We must understand that the root of humility is an intense reverence of the soul before God, that this reverence itself is born of the contemplation of what God is and does for us in his twofold character of Lord and Father, 
And that this twofold reverence, once anchored in the soul, keeps it in the self-abasement, befitting it as a creature stained by sin, but at the same time surrenders it entirely in confident and graceful abandonment to the will of the Heavenly Father. Okay? So the root of humility is intense reverence in the soul. That's what humility springs forth from, this intense reverence in the soul. It's born of contemplation. We're thinking about what God is and what he's done for us, what we are and what we've done to him. Okay? So we look at him as Lord and as Father. And once that's anchored in the soul, that keeps us in the right relationship before God, both with self-abasement because we're sinners, but as the quality of a child because he loves us. Okay. Very important passage. Dom Marmion. Quote, we should first of all aim at acquiring the interior virtue of humility. If that is real, sincere, alive, well anchored in the soul, it will quite naturally manifest itself outwardly. If we have interior humility, the body, by reason of the substantial union of our being, will express the reverence that fills the soul before God. Outward humility is only of any value if it is the real expression of inward humility or if it is the means employed to arrive thereat. We'll unpack all this in a minute. A man must acquire and express humility by the movements of the soul and those of the body. We ought then to exercise ourselves likewise in outward humility, even if we've not reached a high degree of the inward virtue. On account of the close union between soul and body, every act of virtue often repeated, such as striking the best, keeping the eyes lowered or going down on one's knees before the Lord, has its echo in the soul and necessarily influences our interior life. Close quote. Okay, so that's all the big stuff. Now we'll start unpacking it. What does this mean? What this means is that acts of outward humility are valuable means to grow in humility of heart, an interior humility. In other words, if just by acting in a reverent manner, for example, by making a good genuflection, not some stage production, look at me, aren't I pious, but a regular good genuflection in honor of our Lord, the most blessed sacrament of the altar, just a normal one, and we do that with the intention of showing reverence to the Lord, we will grow in humility. That is great. It means one of the easiest ways we can grow in humility is simply by being reverent in our thoughts, words, and especially our actions in the presence of the Lord. There are scads of examples right now. Kneeling in the canyon, kneeling for Holy Communion, genuflecting, tapping our breasts quietly at the Agastya or the Confidior, not some caveman bang, bang, bang thing, uh, acting in a reverent manner, dressing uh, in a modest, dignified manner, using a chapel veil, all those things, all those acts can produce humility. What happens on the outside does matter. Because we're one thing. The interior humility is more important. But it's not like there's two of us, a body and a soul. We're one thing. Because of the punishment, we get separated at death, but we're in a violent state, as St. Thomas says, till we come together at the resurrection of the dead. We're one thing, so our body really matters. That's not all. Dom Marmion, quote, This reverence towards God extends to all that touches, represents, or announces God to Christ's humanity than to all the members of his mystical body. Close quote. The reverence extends to all that touches, represents, or announces God. That is unbelievably significant. What Blessed Dom Marmy is pointing out to us is that reverence towards God is not limited simply to God himself present in the most blessed sacrament of the altar. Reverence towards God extends to everything that touches God. For example, chalices, a ciborium, priest's fingers, Reverence toward God extends towards everything that represents God. For example, crucifixes, stations of the cross, Catholic churches, 
shrines, the Pope, a bishop, a priest. Reverence towards God extends to anything that announces and everything that announces God, the Holy Scriptures, a religious brother or sister in full habit, the liturgy, the rubrics, the sacred music of the choir, the sacred architecture, the vestments, incense. Reverence towards God extends to all the members of his mystical body, the angels, the saints, our brothers and sisters here in the church militant, our family members. In other words, all these things, precisely because they provide a means of expressing our reverence toward God, are by that very fact actual means of growing in humility when we treat them reverently. We grow in humility when we treat those things reverently. When I was a kid, people don't wear hats that much anymore, but the guys, when they went in front of the church, would take their hat off. Why? I mean, it, it, does it make, strictly speaking, any difference to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament? No, but you're honoring him. You're acting reverent in front of him. So driving by in the pickup, guys take their hat off. Walking by, they take their hat off. Why? Is it passed in front of a church? Reverence towards God. We grow in humility. Reverent behavior and thought, word, and deed produces humility. And remember what humility does. Humility removes the obstacles within us that are preventing us from becoming saints. Everyone needs to burn this into his mind. Reverence produces humility. Humility removes the obstacles within us that are preventing us right here and now from becoming saints. Not only that, once we understand this, it also gives us the means to make an intelligent, dispassionate and objective evaluation of any particular liturgy in terms of its efficacy, in terms of its usefulness in helping us grow in holiness. All we have to do is answer the question, how is the reverence towards God expressed? Is there a reverent atmosphere in the presence of our Lord? Are the people quiet and reverent in their movements, genuflections, dress and deportment? How beautiful is the chalice? What's it made of? How is it handled? Are the altar crucifix and the stations fitting works of sacred art? How about the other statues? How about the altar? Does the architecture adequately express the beauty of the house of God? How about the sacred music? Do the rubrics and movements of the sacred ministers express the reverence due towards God? Are the vestments beautiful? Etc., etc., Etc. It's the year of the priest. The holy carrier of ours used to walk around in tattered rags of a cassock because a cassock was for him. But he spared no expense on the chalice, on the vestments, on all the appointments of the altar because that was for him. The creature knows he's a sinner. That's the creator. These are objective questions that can be easily answered by anyone. The efficacy, the usefulness of any particular liturgy in helping us grow in holiness by means of reverence is easy for any Catholic to access. You don't need any expertise at all. God didn't set up some religion where we all need to be experts, where everyone needs to have a bunch of highfalutin degrees to understand what's going on. He set up the Catholic religion, which is for everyone. Now, given the fact that if reverence towards God is lacking, humility cannot exist... And if humility does not exist, there is no holiness. It's easy to see why these days we see so little sanctity. Everything starts here. Everything starts here. If inside 
our Catholic churches around our beloved nation and the world, Catholics are unable to deport themselves with the reverence due to our Lord in the most blessed sacrament of the altar, and I include priests. Small wonder. Small wonder there's so little reverence towards others out there, especially the babies, the elderly, the sick, the women. Small wonder we see so little sanctity in our modern world. Small wonder we're compassed about by this culture of death. We're getting hemmed in by this present darkness which is drawing ever closer around us. Where there's very little reverence, there can be very little humility. Where there's very little humility, there's very little holiness. Where are the saints? We have saints. They're hidden away. They're in the cloisters, in families, where the sense of reverence has been preserved. Parents, this has very obvious practical consequences. If you want your children to be holy, take them to reverent liturgy. If you want your children to be holy, take them to reverent liturgy. If you don't care if they get to heaven, then don't worry about it. Before we close, let's take a minute to consider quickly another important spiritual fruit of a reverent attitude, and that is a delicate conscience. What exactly is a delicate conscience? Someone with a delicate conscience is so filled with reverence towards God that he'd prefer to die rather than to commit the smallest deliberate venial sin. He's so filled with reverence towards God that he'd rather die than commit the smallest Deliberate venial sin, okay? Deliberate venial sin, what do we mean by that? That's when we know something's wrong. It's not that wrong. So we know it's, it's wrong. With this full knowledge and self-reflection, with sufficient reflection, we commit the sin anyway. It's a cold-blooded venial sin, okay? I had sufficient reflection. I know that's wrong. It's not that big of a deal. I'm willing to offend God. It's small, but I'm willing to offend God. That's cold-blooded. The person with delicate conscience wouldn't do that. We're not talking about a semi-deliberate venial sin. That's, for example, when somebody gets caught by surprise and then in their embarrassment and awkwardness suddenly blurts out a little white lie or whatever, and later on they really regret it. That's a semi-deliberate. Without special graces like she got, we can't avoid all those. But we certainly can avoid deliberate, cold-blooded venial sins, but it's not natural. Someone with a delicate conscience so filled with reverence towards God that he would rather die than commit even the smallest deliberate venial sin. And this is not natural. It's supernatural. It can only come from grace, and we have to ask for it. It's something that you should pray for every day, and especially when you go to communion. It's quite possible to get. It's quite possible to get. God wills your holiness. He desires you to be holy, so that means he desires you to have a delicate conscience. So ask for it. Ask for it. Let's close. Dom Marmion, quote, Humility derived from reverence towards God will destroy the obstacles that can prevent the soul's union with God. Blessed Dom Marmion, I'll repeat that again. Humility derived from reverence towards God will destroy the obstacles that can prevent the soul's union with God. When this humility truly possesses the soul, then the Holy Spirit action, being no longer opposed by sin or attachment to sin, attachment to the creature or attachment to the self, is all-powerful. The Holy Spirit's action is all-powerful and fruitful. Happy, thrice happy is the soul arrived at this state. God acts freely in it 
and leads it by the hand of the highest perfection to the summits of contemplation. For he wills our holiness, and his nature inclines him to communicate himself. The only condition that God lays down is that his gifts and his action meet with no obstacle. This condition is fulfilled by humility. Close quote, blessed Dom Marmion. Humility removes the obstacles, clears the barriers to the action of God's grace in a soul. And one of the easiest ways to grow in this essential virtue is reverence. Reverence in thought, word, and deed.